0: Online, on your smart speaker, and around the world. This is BC Radio. Three up front on BC Radio.
1: Hello, and very good evening to you all. Uh, my name's Ken Stewart, and we've got a very special edition of Scarby Fans TV in, conne- in connection and conjunction with BC Radio. Tonight, we have uh, Gary Thompson in the studio, and he's going to uh, be interviewed by Claudio, and we're going to go through all the old-timers. Uh, I think we're all old-timers. We all remember back from the 80s where Gary uh, played some tremendous uh, football for us uh, under Gordon Milne and uh, several other fantastic players. Our normal programme will be on Monday. Uh, Skybury Fans TV we will be talking about a defeat um, at Norwich. We'll have that show on Monday evening, 7.30. But tonight is a special show, and tonight, Claudio. Good evening, Claudio.
2: Good evening, Good uh, evening, Ken. How are you, mate? all right? Um, uh, yeah, I'm fine, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah,
1: I am yeah, as well. Yeah. I'm going to hand over to you now to introduce Gary and uh, conduct the rest of the show. Thank you. Oh.
2: <laughs> evening, Gary. Good evening, Claudia. Evening, kid. Good evening. Yeah. evening. Really, yeah. really pleased you've uh, made the, the time to come on and uh, do this uh, show with us. Um, as someone who was um, Brought up on 70s football You're up there as one of my uh, heroes And that um, may sound a bit over the top But it's true Growing you know, up, Watching you when I was 10, 11 It was just fantastic to see you playing in the Sky Blue shirt And uh, we hope It's going to be a, a really, really Interesting evening yeah, well, Thanks for inviting me on
3: You're making me feel incredibly old by mentioning that you was only 10 When you saw me play <laughs> Apart from that, yeah Let's go. I'm delighted, delighted to be on. Un- I'm happy to talk about anything Sky Blue.
2: Well, we've got our first, uh, my first question for you. Uh, growing up in Kings Heath, uh, playing for local amateur clubs, did you ever think you would ever get the chance uh, to play professional football? And how did you get noticed by the scouts at Coventry City? Right. I mean, growing
3: up in, as a kid... Um, all I remember was the '70 World Cup, and obviously Pele tore it apart there. Rivolino you know, and all them, and me and my brother, my older brother, we're going to be footballers. We've got my other brother came from the West Indies, and my mom, with my me, me sister rather, my mom introduced us to our new members of the family. Glyn my older brother, he was the one that actually started teaching me to play football. So I started playing football, but I'm playing with my two older brothers. They're bigger than me, they're stronger than me, and they just not bounce me around really. Because initially, I used to go to my mom and I asked them to play, and they say no, clear off. And so I go to my mom and uh, cry, and my mum would make sure I'd, I got in the game. But they didn't want me in the game, so they they'd be physical with me. But bit by bit, I just loved it. And from there, I'm like the best player in me uh, infant school, my junior school, as it were. And I make this. Uh, we play against this team just before I'm leaving um, junior school. So about three months before, and everyone goes, hey, "Who's your best player?" And they all say, well, "It's Thomas." And I'm just getting me You know, you're all changing together in the changing rooms, and uh, they said, well, "Who's your best player?" And they point to this guy This guy's got to be Bearing in mind We're just nearly 11 This guy's got to be Nearly 6 foot tall He's got sideburns He's got a moustache A little hint of a beard Like long blonde hair And I'm looking I'm saying That's a ringer There's There's no way He's our age Anyway We play against this kid And everything I I do, I try and get the ball down, I try and beat him for pace, he he repeats me. Ball gets played in in the air, he's stronger than me in the air, like, so I do what I do, go towards the ball, spin him behind, do all sorts of things, he reads it. Everything I try and do, he reads. So I end up resorting to my default, which is violence, and uh, he beat me up. So that kid, I I then met, we we left school, obviously, left the infancy, the junior school, sorry, went to secondary school first two days at secondary school I bump into this kid and I'm like you're that big kid ain't you? and we get chatting his name's Paul Dyson Paul Dyson turns out to become the best Paul Dyson is the best player in our year there's Paul Malcolm Percy, for myself we're the best three players but Paul is by far better than the rest of us Paul's going to be a footballer and loads of scouts watching Paul P- Percy, and myself we play for the school we play for the district we play for the county so, along with Paul Paul gets called up for England uh, schoolboys we don't get get a shout in it. But we keep thinking we're going to get a chance. And um, in the end, Paul gets signed up by Coventry. Jack Hastings, who's the scout at Coventry City, he watches Paul on a regular basis. So every time Jack's going to be there, we pull out all the stops, we score goals, we we showboat a bit, trying to get his attention, never notices us. Bob Dennison, who is the chief scout at Coventry City, says to Paul one day, because to be fair, Paul is the golden child. Until Gary Gillespie comes to Coventry um, when he's 17, 18, Paul is the centre-half that's going to go through and be be a fantastic footballer for the club he's, he's one of the homegrown kids who's going to go through anyway they said have you got any good mates I think they were trying to make the numbers up and he said oh yeah and he mentioned himself and Malcolm Percival so we've both got, been invited to go a commentary we've trained there for two days I, I think it was on a weekend We then they then invited us back for the six week holiday and uh, two weeks into the six week holiday they uh, they really like what they see and they end up signing himself on schoolboys and Malcolm he, he trained and Betted was doing a training session one day. And Malcolm just got up and went, I'm Not doing this anymore. And he left. He just could not, he couldn't stand being told what to do on a regular basis. Whereas I loved it. I had structure in my life. I got up in the morning, we had breakfast, we got to the training ground, we trained, <laughs> we picked up <laughs> chase balls and all that, and trained in the afternoon. It was fantastic for me. And it was the kind of structure I obviously needed. And uh, that's how I got into uh, got to go to Coventry. It wasn't a case, a case of a scout seeing and saying, That, that boy's got a chance. And like um, I'm just one of the, the group, as it were. Gary Bannister's one of the, the kids got great, getting through as well. And um, I do the six weeks training in pre-season, and I, I loved it. I, apart from running around the quarry, just behind writing, everything else was fantastic. So it's the, the Tuesday before the first. The first the season starts on the on the Saturday. The Tuesday night they used to play. Um, it was like first team and reserves with a mix of celebrities Ernie Hunt used to come and play and all that it was like a curtain raiser and for some reason I'm sitting on the bench watching this game and Jimmy Hill's on the mic and that and anyway gets to the last 15-20 minutes and Bert Edwards goes to me bomber you got a goal in you so being a shy retiring person I am I'm "Go!" Like, goal I've done a couple of goals I've been watching you playing. there's definitely goals in this man anyway <laughs> he puts me on a pitch I'm on Highfield Road pitch now and I naturally prick myself oh, and I'm what am I going to do now as luck would have it the ball comes to me. I dance between two players. The smash it goes in the goal from about twenty five yards. Jimmy Hill's on the mic What a great goal from one of our up and coming young talents! What's his, what's his name? <laughs> oh, Tom's at the garage. Anyway, I'm I'm getting lauded. I'm getting loved by everybody on this um, on this Friday. I think Alan Robinson, who was a res- regular reserve centre centre forward, he got injured, and uh, I think he did his cruciate. And don't think Rob played again. And Bert Edwards pulled me in the office and just said. Uh, You're going to make your debut tomorrow. I had to forms, and I played in Central League. I was 15 years of age. And then my debut was against Aston Villa in the reserves at Highfield Road. And uh, from then, I kind of, I always knew I was going to be a footballer. I just didn't know how I was going to get about it. But from then, (coughs) I saw the pathway. I saw the chance to break through. Did you always thought you could make it? Yeah, I mean, I'm playing against... Um, older kids, bigger kids than myself all the time and with my two brothers and what we used to do in the summer holidays, we'd all get to the park and we'd all, we'd all be like, um, oh join in the game, you know, there was always you know only games with about 40 people playing, you're always playing like, and he'd always say, they'd say to myself like, just to, just over a bit, and just kick the ball a couple of times and we'd do that and then after the first half, people start talking and you get friendly and that and then there's bags of crisp on it there's dandelion and burdock or whatever and all of a sudden they say, off you go and i 'll score a few goals. And from then, I, I always played against older, stronger people than myself and just found a way to score a goal or or, or find a solution, as it were. And so I I, I love football. I was always carrying a ball. I was always booting a ball. Miss, Mrs O'Shea, who lived next to us, lovely Irish lady, the amount of time she used to go out to my mum's, knock the door, really polite, and could you tell him to just stop smashing the ball in the entry? It's driving me mad. All she could do was come, bang, 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 bang. And like... Uh, there was Mrs Thomas, whose garden was facing us. So if I smashed the ball in the garden, it went over into her. So I was always getting the ball from her. And uh, I just always felt, had a ball with me. Paul was exactly the same. And we just felt, I think we got to about 13, 14, and we just felt well, this is going to be. We're going to be footballers. But I couldn't work out I quite how to get there until basically Paul Dyson mentioned myself, me and Percy, to
0: Rob Dennis, Bob Dennison. Two uh three up front on bc radio
2: who really helped you in your career at coventry was there a player or a coach who really stood out for you uh the coach would be bert edwards bert edwards was brilliant for me he knew
3: what i was like um, he met my me mom and dad and um i had a take tendency to be explosive and volatile <coughs> at times and bert knew how to curb that i got sent off a couple of times in the reserve i playing in the reserve and youth team gordon milne called me into the big office Gave me the curly finger and we had a we had a long conversation about not losing the temper on a regular basis. But Gordon was brilliant for me. Gordon was like, you know, the the, the, the older gentleman you don't want to upset. So when Gordon told me once, just before the West Ham semi-finals, how I disappointed him in, in one game, and I was I was devastated because Gordon Mill was the one. Ron Wiley used to shout and holler at me all the time, but Gordon was the one you never wanted to upset or disappoint. And Gordon, he he, he put me on the right road, as it were. But Bert Edwards <coughs> as a coach, Bert was brilliant. He worked hard with me. He, he showed me loads of different things. We used to watch little, not videos, but little clips of players and that. But he had a lot of time for himself. Andy Blair was with us. Andy Blair's my age group, and Andy Blair would be ever saying like, "Your Bert's son, your Bert's pet, and all that like." But, uh, <laughs> but I think he, they hadn't seen as much. They had seen aggression, but they seen aggression from the likes of myself. And they uh, commentary ran with it. He gave them an opportunity to mm-hmm. take takes players and develop. The commentary in that time, Gordon Milne. Had, had the team and then he had to change the team and so he's had to change the team and develop another team so you, you got, got you, you, I'm just think, thinking now Tommy Hutch and all them were playing and we're trying to get in the team and they got rid of not got rid of them but they all left Terry Orton and all them who were fantastic players and they brought through another group before that but before that Gordon Milne had a, a crew he had to bring through before that so Gordon oversaw three changes so this is a manager that was absolutely fantastic for us. Knew the game, knowledge of the game was brilliant, and um, to, to work with young kids because we were we were a good side, but we could easily get beat for hit for four every now and again. But we were a decent side, and Gordon had to put up with all that and uh, coaches and coaches and developers. Bearing in mind, I spoke the idea with commentary was to develop players and maybe sell a few on or whatever, but hopefully build towards something. And uh, Gordon had to do that, and I just think he, the job he did. Was massively underrated. If um, we got to the League Cup semi final, if we get to the final, and we'd played Liverpool, if we'd won the final, then, then who knows? But uh, from the from the semi final, I think if we get into the final, all of a sudden, a few of us become household names, and the whole thing changes. And Combs should probably have enough
2: money to bring in players to help accentuate what we're trying to do. I uh, I've got a rejection letter from Bert Edwards. <laughs>
3: Yeah. <laughs> he, he rejected Loudrop as well, apparently. <laughs> got, uh, <laughs> yeah. Someone sent me, a a guy's guy got me on Twitter and he said that he spotted, uh, I think it was Michael Loudrop, Michael Loudrop playing, and he said to Mark, this, this kid's brilliant, you've got to get him over for a week, he's, he's fantastic, what he can do with the ball is quick, he's this and that. And I think he did come over, they had a look at him and he wasn't strong enough and they let him go. <clears throat> anyway, he develops into Michael Loudrop. and Bert Edwards sent the letter back and he just said, I'm really sorry. He said, it, you know, it never quite worked out, wrong situation. Said, but bearing in mind, we all met mistakes, he said. And uh, I was when I first saw Gary Thompson play, I didn't think he would kick the ball. And I said, he won't be here more than the weekend. So things changed and, you know, people met mistakes.
2: That's yeah, true. I, I remember watching Denmark under-20s or under-18s play ours at... Four Road against yeah. England, and I don't know if you've played, I know Mark ha- no. Mark Haley played, and uh, we are watching it, and me and my mate, we he just had a trial, we're in the stand watching it, and we're, we're sitting there going, this Denmark lot are useless. Half them played in the World <laughs> Cup a few years later. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> this goes to show you that know, sometimes you see players at certain levels, and you think, oh, I don't do that." And then you see them again, at like say, 18 months later, or two years later, and they're not bad, like. And that's why I think being a scout is one of the hardest jobs possible to look at players' development and think, yeah, in five years' time, they could be this. It's a
2: fantastic job they do. Now, as we've mentioned, we're doing this in conjunction with BC Radio. So when this goes out in the podcast, there's going to be some music. And uh, we've asked you to choose some bands that you like and songs. And you said you're a big fan of Thin Lizzy. Um, So we're going to play a couple of tracks from Thin Lizzy. Nice one.
0: 3 Up Front on BC Radio. front on bc radio so where's um why i lizzie it's a strange one because
3: uh, apart from me, me dad loved elvis and so like me, me dad and me mom did or elvis would be played all the time a bit of reggae a bit of scar but generally elvis got a massive uh massive lot of affection in my house like right? or my mom, mom and dad's house and that so I get to Coventry and uh, Tom English is there and he, he obviously reintroduces me to Elvis again. But <laughs> I'm surrounded by people who are listening to Steely Dan. Because imagine in the hostel, there's, there's loads of different bedrooms. So wondering out about each people's bedroom I and mean, everyone's playing different types of music. And I'll be playing Sound of Philadelphia or playing Stevie Wonder. So, like, I mean, I, I like to believe mes- myself and Paul, ours was the hippie's room because they all wanted to be in there. But I got invited to a concert once. I mean, get my girlfriend, who then became my wife, Louise, Myself, Danny Thomas, his girlfriend. There's about six of us with our girlfriends, Been invited to this concert. And Thin Lizzie, I think they were the support band. And like, uh, there's been a bit of a, a Barney about the, the, the seats and that. And that's because Danny's sitting in, Danny sprawled across two seats. And Danny Thomas, as you can imagine, he's about five foot four, but somehow he managed to be sprawled across two seats. He half kicks off. I get top chatting with the geezer and I explain to him politely, unless he settles down, I'm going to knock you out. And so he ends up sitting next to me. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, this is not going to end well because I'm sitting next to the geezer I think he's, he's going to hit me, and the next thing you know, you're going to have a fight and all that. So I'm sitting there waiting for it to happen. Like, and like my missus keeps glaring at me, thinking, no, this is, this is me trouble. It's all your fault again." And the next thing, the whole stage, everything is black, and then uh, there's one light on the stage, and that, and this this black guy appears, like, being the best afro you've ever seen, standing there playing the bass guitar. And I looked, and all of a sudden, I'm like, "That's that's what if I don't be a footballer, that's what I'm going to be." and I just listened to that and from there I just uh, had an affection with him. I just I loved the, the the way the music the way they played the music I loved the fact the way he lived his life I mean he they say you oh, owe your body nothing he got every ounce out of his body he enjoyed his life to the full and it was terribly sad when he passed but I yeah. think he was in keeping with the rock star image as it were and <clears throat> from then I just listened to his music I love, I loved them I listened to it loads of it loads of stuff but early 80s for Scar for the New Romance and all that but Thin Lizzy was always in and amongst that
2: yeah I've, uh, uh, fantastic the Live and Dangerous album is a oh. great album a great, and I love the track The Rocker that's a great track
3: yes uh, yeah um, I mean it's not, there's not many bad ones on that album at all I mean it's a, it's a great album and I'll pull it out every now and again but it, it is a fantastic album
2: going, going back to your career um, I mean you was one of only a handful of black footballers playing in the top league in 1977 <laughs> Did you feel at the time there was little opportunities for lads of non-white backgrounds to progress, and also those who did make it were some of the most popular players of their respective clubs? And before you answer, Gary, I was looking at some stats. I mean, it's it's incredible, really. That's um, I'm only picking out Blackburn Rovers because this is this this I was baff- I was absolutely flummoxed when I saw looked this, looked this up. Howard Gale was the first black player to play for Liverpool. That was 1980. Yeah. He was Newcastle's first black player in 1982. I mean, mm. it's not like you guys weren't around. You know what I mean? It was incredible. Blackburn Rovers, their first black player was in 1987. Frightening. Which, that's astonishing. And I reckon at virtually every club, the black players were idolized. I mean, you look at, I mean, Brendan Batson had played for Arsenal in 1974. And then, of course, he went to the Baggies. Yeah. Uh, God rest his soul, Cyril, you know, at, uh, at West Prominence and Walls and Villa, everywhere else he's played. Um, so many. So, I mean, I could... Garth Crook says loads. It's absolutely, just in fashion, absolutely loads. Yeah. Nice. So, going back to the question, um, did you think there was little opportunities?
3: Yeah, I, I, I didn't feel in my head I'm going to be a footballer no matter what anyone tries to, I'm going to be a footballer so I had that driving thing that I was going to crack on anyway and obviously there'd be racial abuse at times and different things would be happening but my first real um, it opened my eyes to the situation was I'm playing for county reserves and uh, I'm 15 years of age and uh, there was a guy called I think it was Clint Marshall or Cliff Marshall and he was he was a big six foot tall he had a lovely afro as well I mean I judge players by by the well I could be with an afro I'm like damn So he he comes on the pitch, and he's he's, he's a right winger. And I think he played two or three times for Everton's first team. But he came on the pitch and he got booed on. This is a reserve game with about 300 people there. He got booed on. That's the first time. That's strange. But from there, every time you went up the north, you went to Sunderland or Newcastle or even Millwall, for example. There was a lot of use. But all I I remember as a kid, Albie Johannesson played in the cup final, 65, um, played for Leeds. And from Albert Johannesson, I remember there was the boy Charles at West Ham, uh, Addy Coker, and there were, there were little smatterings of black players every now and again. Uh, John Chidozy obviously um, Laurie Cunningham came through us. Well. And then there was sort of an explosion, Bob Hazel, George Berry, and I was just behind that. So by the time I got in, there was black players dotted around in quite a few teams and that. But obviously we were still the minority and obviously there was still a lot of abuse flying around. And I always felt that things... Uh, I thought the opportunities were limited, but I also felt that I was lucky because I was at a football club where it didn't matter if I was black or Chinese or whatever. If I was a decent footballer, if I was a, a, a player, they believed they could develop into a player and I didn't cause too much trouble and get sent off too many times, I would get the best possible chance to make make a career for myself. And like, so I was probably at the wrong club for that. I mean, I, um, I was interviewed by someone at Chelsea one time and they were saying that the abuse, I had a kid, Nathan Blake, when I was at Cardiff and he told me the stories that went on when he was a kid coming through at Chelsea and the racial abuse they suffered and like then like then I'm thinking oh, i lucky I'm lucky that I ended I went went to a club like Country City where I took a little bit of stick but most of the stick I took was from Tommy Hutch Barry Powell and all that about toughening me up developing me as a player not because of my colour and that they just treated me they were rough with me at times and that but they wanted the best for me and when I mean we're sitting in a bar in um in Hong Kong, and I went like, Now then, I'm at West Brom by now, like, and I'll be gone for a few quid and all that. And these are coming to the end of Korea. And I'm like, what's all that about? And they explained it to me. And they said, Listen, you're a young black kid, you got too much to say for yourself. You're lively, you're witty, you're, you're funny, but you love yourself. And so, like, you know, what's it going to be like if you've got 30,000 people booing at you and people abusing you? You've got to be able to take it. So, they said, Give me stick not racial stick but they give me stick to toughen me up a little bit for the plane so I look at it now I was so fortunate that I went to a club like Conference City where they gave me an opportunity regardless of whether I was black white white whatever they
2: gave me the chance I've um I've got your book here <laughs> 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 don't believe a word Gary Thompson well, yeah just, a... that's
3: what the wife says like she tells, when I start <laughs> talking she's like
2: I've read it but I went through it because I was picking bits out of it yeah you mentioned an incident with Barry Power where he, he called you by the name of a character from the TV film uh, program Roots, which is interesting yeah. because at the time when I was at school in Warwick, we played another school from Warwick and we were great footballers. We were rubbish at rugby. and uh, But we had one black kid. I'd known him since I was four and died last year. Such a big, big mate. Yeah. And um, he was black and he was so fast. And our only tactic was... Give the ball to Tony, let him run with it. Yeah. And of course, the lads from the other school kept calling him by the name of that character in um, Roots. Yeah. Now, your reaction when I'm reading that book was slightly different to ours. We got really angry. And this is 1977, 78 when this came out. Yeah. And we were only kids. And we were flaring up at the teacher saying, You can't do that. He can't do that. But we got so angry. Instead of, if it was a Hollywood movie, we would have won the game. In fact, we got worse as we got angrier. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it basically turned into violence and yeah. it didn't help and we got battered. But your reaction was different. Do you, do you reckon that was because you're kind of on your own and you young and didn't know what to say, didn't know how to react? I, probably might have
3: been a bit of that. I mean, but Val Thomas was there, which Danny Thomas's brother, and Val's two years older than me. So Val was the first black kid who was at Coventry before myself. And then obviously there's myself, then Danny comes in. So there's three of us around. But when I was a young kid coming through, Val was the, a professional. So I'm a young, I'm an uh, apprentice, as it were. And the Roots thing was a big thing. And they, they all, not just Barry, they all call me Kunta or they call me Toby. And I'd be like, oh, I, 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 I'd rear up a little bit, but generally, like, um it was just in the end it's just part of something that was going on I, players took stick for different things at different times and they just called me Kunter. and in the end you just like I just cracked on with it as it were like I mean there were times I flared up because I couldn't go two three four weeks without some kind of flare up in, in one way shape or another but yeah we had, we had used to basically say things they used to try and toughen me up but like the Kunter shout came for a long long time I remember doing a Q&A and I mentioned it and the people in the audience were like they were shocked because but now you're looking at this this was um, late 70s early 80s when all this sort of thing went on and that that was the mildest form of abuse you could have suffered like because yeah. a lot of other things went on that was a lot worse than that
2: um we're going to go on to our uh, another track you you've just you've um, picked the jam as a, another band and i yeah. believe uh, you're quite an admirer of paul, paul Weller. I think the fella when um, I was in the coach one day, me and Tom
3: English, and we listened to the jam, and we basically it was a fight to get the music on. So imagine we're on the coach; you've only got one player, like, and you know we all try to. We got our music, our, and we're the new kids, so we want our music on. And Bobby McDonald went, "This stuff is rubbish." I remember saying that. This this geezer, well, I says he's a fantastic writer, like, writer of songs, like, and obviously a lot of political things about it and the way what what he wants to say, but there was a beat to it, Paul Weller and the jam, there was a feeling behind it, and I, I just remember saying, this fellow absolutely brilliant, and all three years, I just kept me, not kept me eyeing him, but you buy his stuff, you listen to his stuff, and see how he develops, the jam were fantastic, um, I mean, there were a lot of bands around that time, doing sort of, trying to do the same sort of thing, the jam were the best at it, I thought, and then Weller developed that, and developed it again, and again, and I just think he's a fantastic, song singer, songwriter, and uh the
2: bands he yeah, had, the jam were different class, but then he's going to have different bands as well, and it's just he's just class. Yeah, is it very, very good? Well, this is uh, Sky Blue Fans TV uh, interviewing Gary Thompson, and in conjunction with uh, BC Radio.
0: Three up front on BC Radio.
5: Bought in faraway trains to take them home to the ones that they love and who love them forever. The great 30 steps repeat my own and reflect my thoughts. Cold and uninviting, partially naked, with some of your wrappers and the smallest papers. Mr. Jones got run down. Headlines of death or sorrow They us tear tomorrow. Mad men on the red And I'm down in a two-station midnight. Oh, 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 oh. I fumble for change. I pull out the queen. Put in the money And pull out a plum Behind me Whispers in the shadows Cross-blessed voices Haiti waiting Hey boy, they shout Have you got any money? but I say, I've to take money And I take a white curry I'm on the high up to my wife I'm starting up a cutter here now, she's expecting me. Pulashing her glasses and pulling out the coke. I'm down in a twist and shut up midnight. I first felt a fist and then a kick. I could now smell their breath, the smell of pubs. And wormwood scrubs and too many right wing meetings. My life swam around me. It took a look and drowned me in its existence. The smell of brown leather, even with the weather. Though my eyes is not a maverick.
0: up front on BC Radio
2: right well, we've got loads of comments coming in do you want to take some questions from our uh, the people watching why not yes. <laughs> right. evening all evening Gary absolute heroes saw you many saw your many great goals legend that's from Paul Hughes
3: thank you very much Paul I appreciate
2: it Covandi, evening all, really looking forward to my, to this, my son had Gary on his pod a couple of years ago and was brilliant. Oh, right, very nice. Victoria Oaks, Victoria's one of our uh, presenters, actually, she's having an evening off, she's saying evening all, evening Victoria. Hour mm-hmm. 87, evening everyone. Nation Radio Coventry, I know Tony was there at uh, Norwich yesterday, good evening everyone, good evening Gary. Good evening. And Ian Pimlott, my hero, grew up watching Gary. He was instrumental in my sky blue journey. That's that's really
3: that's really nice because imagine likes to myself and Danny Thomas were in the team, but you're just fighting to stay in the team because what what I, what we found was Mick, Mick Ferguson McFerguson was the centre forward. Mick Ferguson and Ian Wallace were the centre forward, and they were a different class. So behind them, you've got myself trying to get in and around the team. Frank McGrath is trying to get in the team as well, and behind that there's other strikers. So even though people say you scored good goals you had a good career whatever you're always looking over your shoulder because I had on my shoulder Mark Aitley and we ended up playing together as it were and it worked out pretty well and we got on really well myself and Mark but everywhere you turn you'd have someone who was trying to nick your your position as it were so it it was always driving you on so it, it was difficult at times but I loved it I mean there's not too many options for me. I was going to be a footballer, or, or that was it. There was no other there was no plan B, which is what I should not called the book, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And like the Coventry fans treat me, they treat me really well. Um, I get down there for Legends Day and all that, and they they treat me fantastically well. I I love being there. It's 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 a lovely warm place, a family place, and uh, I've got nothing but great memories.
1: Gary, I was gonna ask you, um listen here, fascinating sitting here listening to this because I've got so many memories as well of, uh, of your time at the Sky Blues was there a play that stood out for you during the time at Coventry um, that, that was fantastic and made it and you know it was basically the best player you probably played with at Carve who would, who would that be?
3: The best player at Carve I'd play would be, would be Gary Gillespie I mean Paul Dyson Paul got a uh, couple of bad injuries when he was nineteen, twenty, 20 and he, Paul had a good career, he played for West Brom, he played for Stoke and he went round but Gary mm-hmm. Gillespie came from Falkirk. I think they paid 100 grand for him and he was head and shoulders above everything else we did. He walked in and we was like, the kid was silky, control the ball, come out, with defense with the ball and so naturally as a centre forward, I'm letting him have some and fair enough, he coped with all that. I played against him for Scotland, uh, England against Scotland, uh, the 21s and uh, I think semi-final when I silenced the Hamden Raw, which Gilly doesn't like me to talk about but, but yeah, I, I like you yeah. because I knew Gary's weaknesses because the physicality he weren't too, too happy with but everything else about his game he was tall he was good on the ball his positional sense was superb so we always thought Gilly was the one out of all of us that was really going to develop into being a top player and if we could hang on and maybe some of us would get a chance but Andy Blair if you speak to Andy Blair Andy Blair I thought he was the, the best player and he uh, <laughs> he'd give a good shout as well. To most people, Danny Thomas was the best player. Danny came through around the same time. My, I wouldn't say like, um, disappointment, but the one player I thought would be a great, great player and score loads of goals and have a good career was Tom English. Tom English for me was, uh, not, not the, um, like, charge. Like, I charge around the pitch, and I win headers, and I'm a centre forward, get hold of it, and all that. And Tom would sort of ghost round a little bit, but he always, I knew if I worked hard, but get, get the ball in around him, he could finish. And Tom English, a bit like uh, a poor man's Clyde Allen, if the mm. ball in box, he's going to finish. And that's why i am so. He, he went to Leicester, and he says to me, uh, "I've got we've got a Leicester." Like we were best mates, and that, so we'd be calling each other, go and see each other. What's it like over there? And we took Jim Roll Rose when Tom went over there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, he said. um I said, he's not too bad. He says, oh, I'd expect to be playing regularly. He says, they've got this kid down there, Lineker. It's all right. He's got a chance. <laughs> so, yeah, imagine that, that went down really well two years later. It's Gary Lineker who was like that. He kicked off. But so, yeah, but not a disappointment. Uh, Bodak, who was a mm-hmm. fantastic... They put Bodak with me. every Neil Silly, who I was with on Friday, he said to me that uh, every chance they could, they put Bodak with me. Because out of all the, the wingers we had, Don Nadiello was another one. Beat a man to cross, the cross was coming in, set the fours, myself, Bergie, that's what we want. And Mark Haley, that's what we want. And Bodak would cross the ball, get it cross the ball line. Bannister want well, to cut inside and have a shot. Bannister's gonna score goals. He's not bothered about creating goals for other people. That's but looking at the, the players that went through, Coventry not wouldn't have a wealthy club at the time, so the scouting system was fantastic. So yeah. I just remember in, in my time, the players we had who went through the ranks at were fantastic. A lot of them got in the team, but I would say the best one out of all of them was Gilly. Although if you speak to Gilly, he probably says I was the best one. He said, so "Yeah, and of, course, and of course." He
1: went on to play for Liverpool, didn't
3: he? So, yeah, he, I played and, with Coventry, and I, uh, I, I, I'm not sure no. he played in the World Cup, but he was. He played. Played, some, mm. played a lot of games, Gilly. He's good, good footballer. He came back to Coventry towards the end of his career, and it never yeah. really worked out. But uh, yeah. Gary Gillespie was by far when we're all warming up and we look looking and we're saying well because me and banister we'd always walk together and we'd be taking a mickey and having a laugh and all that like but we'd look round every now and again and say yeah he's got half a chance he's not bad and all that <laughs> and we always went yeah he'd definitely make it Yeah, i probably agree with you there mate to be honest I agree with you there
2: what was frustrating with Gillespie going to um, um, Liverpool was he didn't play for 18 months he was in their reserves <laughs> nowadays he'd be loaned back to us yeah, but they, did, I mean, you know, they, they got taught the Liverpool way, didn't they, in those days? Yeah, you
3: get so, to Liverpool, you know, you're losing a year or 18 months of your career while you have to learn the ropes and that. And like yeah. Gilly said to me, um, he went on a phone, he, and I got to West Brom and they were talking. And he said, Yeah, Tom, he said, like, good play. He said, No one knows why I went to West Brom. I went to West Brom because Ron Wiley bullied me to go to West Brom. But <laughs> we looked I'll at come Gilly. Made, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Alan Hansen was a, a top level centre half. Now, I used like to say to the people, we go and play Liverpool, and Robloff throws it out to Hansen, and it goes into, into Lawrenceon, and he passes it, and they pass it back and forth. Then it goes into midfield, Soonest turns on the ball, rolls it into Dalglish, Dalglish turns, gives it to Ian Rush, Ian Rush, scores, end up. And that's how it always happened. Like, you never got a kick. You went to Hanfield, you never got a kick. And I thought, well, if you're going to go to uh, play with Hansen, play at Liverpool, you, you ain't going to get in, in front of Hansen mm. in, in a couple of years, because he was at the top of his game by then. And I think, if Gaz had gone anywhere else, his career would have been even better I mean he had a great career he won things in Liverpool played for Liverpool for a long time but his career would have been even better because he was it, it was Coventry's scouting was brilliant we picked up some great gems and that and like uh, but he was the one we brought in and he was better than anything else that I, we saw around that time
2: We've got a question from uh, Kyle Holly uh, what's your favourite moment in a Sky Blue shirt Gary?
3: Favourite moment I would have to say <laughs> I, I made my debut um, and and the debut the situation was about six months before I should have made me debut at Highbury this and, a um, funny story yeah, this. yeah and like I didn't make me debut but it was all my own fault to be fair like <laughs> it, man, as per usual so like Ron Why calls me in and says do you want to be a footballer or an in clown and I'm like well to be fair Mr. And he goes, that's exactly why you won't play football because all you want to do is see the funny side of it you're not getting <laughs> here the first team six months later I get a chance Keith Osgood who's a lovely kid, was we bought from Spurs, I think we bought him from Spurs, he played uh, up front at Spurs, and me, Frank McGrellis, and we're like, Gordon Mill, we're like, we're not having this, this is an absolute disgrace, I've told everybody I'm going to be on the bench at least, so we get up to, get the game's played, we got beat 2-0 or whatever, and uh, on the Monday, Tom Yotch and all them are going, can't believe it comes, can't believe the managers took a centre-half, played him in centre-forward instead of yourself, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about, He's supposed to be the manager of the football club. And much as I love Gordon, like, obviously I'm, I'm rubbishing him because he, he, he took me with the team. And so, like, as he the Gordon Mill walks into the, uh, ca- the canteen and Barry Powell, one of them went, I think it was Hutch, don't moan to us, he's here, tell him. And Gordon went, you got something to say? And I was like, bur, 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 and he went, my office, went in the office, runs in there as well. And they just basically said, uh, we decided for your own good that uh, we want you to make your debut at home, so you'll be playing tomorrow at Aston Villa. There are a lot of other expletives in that thing, and the fact that I thought I was picking a team and all that got me out of the office. Made me debut that night, next night against Aston Villa, and uh, all of a sudden, save was off and running. But that was a, that was a really a beautiful moment for me to make my debut. I played, uh, I think it was Norwich on the Saturday, and I got involved in a, a I think it was Glenn Keelan and uh, uh, it was the centre-half, Duncan Forbes sandwich, they knocked knocked, my teeth out, knocked the hell out of me. Balls match, got in between the centre-half and the keeper, went to Eddie and he just laid me out. So I was like, hey, they could give you the magic sponge in your face, loads of water, get on, you'll be all right. Just carried on playing. And like, uh, I've done my knee ligaments, but they kept getting me fit to play each week. I scored my first goal against Wolves, which is my third game. And from there, all of a sudden, that, that would have been, I would say, one of my happiest moments. But then, the, the League Cup semi-final, you'd have to say yeah, the two goals right. in. I just I haven't seen it for a bit, but I just saw it at the start of the show. Now i say two, two mighty five goals. But yeah, that that was a, that was probably my best moment. I loved that moment. That was that was especially as we two 0 down to come back what we did. Yeah, the atmosphere.
2: I'm going to you know. I'm going to ask you about that later. Actually, yeah, yeah. the, the uh, I mean making your debut against Villa. I mean, because yeah. for those who don't know that is your team and you support. That must yeah. have been incredible to actually be playing against. How does that feel? As when you're not, when you're playing against them, it must be weird. It's it's funny because when I went to Coventry
3: initially, like I'm a Villa fan, and like I, I never found a problem in telling anybody that I was a Villa fan, and then I go to Coventry and find out everybody hates Aston Villa, and it's funny. <laughs> it's not just Coventry, Wolves, as- well Albion. Everybody hates Aston Villa. So I'm like, oh. I'll keep this quiet. So I make me reserve debut against Aston Villa, but I don't really tell anybody like they no, Villa fan and that. And then when I get a chance to play in the first team, all my thoughts are I've got I don't want to let Hutch down. I don't I want to do well for the team. I want to do well. Much as I like Aston Villa and it's a club I first watched when I was eight years of age or whatever. This is my chance to show what I can do. So you can detach yourself from all the liking of a club and all that. I'm playing for Coventry City, which is my club. They're giving me the opportunity against Aston Villa, and I'm going to do me level best and. um my, my first touch of the ball in what is now the Premier League ball gets played to me I spun off the centre half ball's been played to me feet I went to control it it lifted me foot up ball went under me foot and all you heard was a bit of oh, my God. and I thought oh, this ain't going to end well but after that it went really well for a debut without scoring it went really well and all of a sudden I was I was off and running and my mum and dad were really proud and because it was it, it was something I've always said I was going to do I wanted to play football I wanted to play in the league this was my opportunity, and uh, I got a chance to do it. So I was actually made up with that.
2: Brilliant. We have got a question from Craig Robinson. Uh, <laughs> good evening, chaps. Does Gary think there's a Sky Blue player he played alongside that would fit in well in today's Sky Blues team? I would say with the, the, the way the play the way they play now, a finisher like Tom English
3: would be would be perfect. Uh, but G- Gilly's the one Gilly would fit into any, any team any level because he can control the ball can pass the ball he can read the game really well so Gary Gillespie would probably be the one Andy Blair would probably be good as well because Andy had a great engine could pass the ball probably thought he was better than he actually was but we've had this conversation over 20 30 years me and Andy like, but he was a very very good footballer um, I'm just trying to think oh, I'll see the player see you, like, you look at the likes of Bodak what, what, if you see videos of Bodak when he was on and doing his business, that kid was different class. He could score goals. He could create goals as well. And so I I think most of us playing in this level now, we've coped with it. I mean, I I think out of all of us, I'd be the one that would struggle because I was a very physical player. And I would think, no, I mean, I had loads of goals taken off me when I was playing and and not making not fouling because the referee saw something or, you know, there was something going on. But uh, nowadays, I think that because of my physicality, I'd probably get booked I'd be end up getting signed they would be like we've seen enough Mr Thompson you can step away from it there." but because I, I was too I was very physical but the, I, I think most most, a lot of the players now would would, would, uh, would cope with it because it's all about quality I mean for me and he's called the, the best player in Commercy's history Tom Usherson Tommy Usherson is as good as anything I've ever seen and played with and I played with Ray Wilkins and I played with some great great footballers like Les Ferdinand and Wright and all them and H- Hutch is in the conversation as one of the best players ever and he also had the wickedest tongue if you made a mistake he'd cut you to ribbons but he did it with love he, you knew he loved you and he wanted you to be better but it was harsh to take at the time but Tommy Hutchison would probably he, he fit into any team I think especially yeah, I knew, yeah. now he's playing left hand side on the right foot with his right foot which is what they all love to do now to come inside because I'll be waiting for hutch-hutch, you hutch, get the ball. He beat his man. He go back. He beat his man. you go back. He beat his man. you go down a lot. He go and beat his man. And I'm waiting for a crossing. and any chance. Sometimes, <laughs> sometime this week he's going to come in the box. Me and Hayley be making runs and pulling out, and making runs. And we're like, yeah, you ain't get a cross. It when he's when he's ready, he'll send it in. Then he's third throwing in. <laughs> and then like, oh, you should be reading that. But what a player Tommy Hutchison was. What a player.
2: The last time I met you, you were with Gary Shaw and Peter oh, Bodak. Yeah. And and what I uh, remember from that night was that. You and you and Gary Shaw were limping yeah. from the injuries you've had, and Peter Bodak was probably ja- dancing because I think throughout his career he pr- he didn't play that many games. So no. I think what it was, he looked a player. He, I mean, he went to United, played one game, didn't he? And he sure, went to yeah. Man City, and it, the story is Pete, what Peter says is that he went to Man City to save them from getting relegated, and they got relegated. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think. I, I think his problem was his uh, his lifestyle outside of football, wasn't it?
3: Yeah. I mean Peter was a wild kid like him, great ability. But if you look at Peter and Gary Bannister, now Peter play on the right hand side, Gab Banner will on the left, Banner would be coming inside his right foot, Bodak wanna go outside on his and right foot and cross the ball. But Bonack could score a goal as well, as could Bannister. But Bodak's career, I mean like I mean like I wrote the book. And, like, I'm delighted with how it came out and how it's been received. And that Bodak's got a book in himself as well. Because you sit with Bodak like that night, night, we're having a drink and a chat. He's got stories about him and Ari Hahn and when he was in Hong Kong and when he was doing this and when he doing that. Some of the things that Bodak's been involved in, in his life. He wasn't cut out to just play football, it's too disciplined for him. He's got to go here and go there and do this and do that. He's a wild child, but he's, he, he was a very regular footballer. But he was never going to settle at somewhere like Coventry and just crack on at Coventry and get 10 years under his belt. He was always going to flit around and. He said to me one day, he played, he was at crew. So he's at he crew and they got a game, a practice game on Monday. And Dario Grine, he's the most technical man in the world. So you've got this, you've got to be in your shape, you've got to make the runs, and you've got to peel out and come away with the ball and turn on the one side. You've got a corner, Bonex holding onto the post. So Dario comes up, what's up with you? And he says, listen, if you drank what I drank the weekend, he said, you'd be you'd be on the floor, you'd be standing holding his post. Look. And he told us a story, and I said, so do you think Dario would find that funny? He said, well, you know, and that's what Bolec's like. He's just got no filter at all, like, and he'd tell everybody, oh, I've been drinking, I'll be doing this, I'll be doing that. <laughs> and he couldn't understand how people would be, like, oh, right, tick him off the list, because he's, he's just, he's not trouble. He's quite, he's a harmless kid. He's a lovely kid, but he can upset people in authority, especially if, if your job depends on your winning football games, then you can't really rely on people, I, I suppose, in that respect. And he will always remind...
2: Three up front on BC Radio. And did the goal at Watford against Watford in oh. the league yeah. <laughs> It was a beauty. Yeah, was a beauty. I mean,
3: we beat we beat them five that night, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We drew two all at, at Watford, and we beat them five at our play. And that game, oh, I know. yeah, the, that game, the atmosphere was electric, and we didn't think we would get a better atmosphere than that. And then obviously the West Ham game, the next home game, was as was better but uh, Boak set us, set us going that night with the, the goal but he was, he was just a good footballer I mean like great ability too cheeky by half got too much to say for himself mm. he's one of them players that every now and again Steve Jacobs or someone just slap him and you'd be like what's that for I just can't have a- I've just told him to shut up and I've told him about 10 times shut <laughs> up don't say another word you can't help yourself and it, bang but he, he was one of them but next thing he's, he's bouncing about and telling jokes and crack, cracking on I think he just knew he was like the the annoying little kid that you'd have to slap every now and again but, but he just bounced back and carry on but he wasn't we got, some,
2: to... we got some more comments coming in <laughs> wow Gary Thompson legend oh, you see for me
3: Hotch is a, a legend or <clears> someone <something throat> like that um, Someone that played for Mickey Coop. Mickey Coop was one of the finest footballers because he could play fullback, centre half. He could do a job in midfield. Great ability. The amount of times Coopy took me outside and smashed balls at me, saying, "Get hold of that, get hold of that." Because when I'm playing on a Saturday and I want to send the ball, you better get hold of it in that. And <laughs> he got me into he got me into being a centre forward, as it were. They taught me different things. D- different people would take me away and do stuff, but Mickey Coop, different class, different class. So people that I look at as country legends, but. So I suppose if someone calls you a legend to go to take it it's nice that's isn't right it?
2: that's a comment from uh, David uh, Granigan. good evening David David's going to come on soon as a guest actually Gary what's your thoughts on the current City squad do you see them doing well in the cup and league out of the current squad what player stands out for you
3: well I'll say the well, the player that stands out because I think it's an obvious sh- uh, shout to be honest like but uh, the current squad, I'm not seeing as much of this, the team this season as I've seen highlights and bits and bobs like. And I think that uh, I've got two mates who I work with who come in every mo- Monday morning and anybody else I'm hanging around with just walks away because they know for the next 10, 15 minutes they're going to tell me blow by blow, Comfrey City's game on the Saturday and Mike Robbins has changed the system. And earlier in the season, they thought, and last season as well, we're going down, he's going horribly wrong, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, the thing turned around and Robbins got the squad together. You've lost. You've left. A, lost a couple of players there. Um, it was a kid that's gone over to uh, Sport in Lisbon. Uh, him, uh, no, he, was, no, he was different class, it, and he looks like he could play at any level. That kid. But then he goes, and all of a sudden, you are looking and thinking, well, where are we going to get the goals from? <clears throat> Ellie Sims, who you brought in, and had you right? I think we'll score goals. But uh, I, I look at the one kid, and it's quite an obvious one. The boy out here. I, I, I think when I, when he left Villa. We were looking and thinking, well, he's one of them that we thought could develop. But they were always saying, if you're not in around the team at a certain age, then they, they want to make, make space for others. But he always had something about him. Went to commentary, good, good player. Looks a good player, but no goals. no, Not enough goals and assists. And I remember saying to Stuart Linnell, while I was doing a and a a couple of years ago, and I think he, he'd just been injured at the time. And I said, mm-hmm. if you can get the goals and assists to match the rest of his play, this kid will go for a lot of money. He's he's a very, very good footballer. And since he's come back from his injury, he now looks like he's in that vein where he's getting goals and assists, scored again yesterday. I think think he could go on to being... How old is he now? Because he he looks about seven. 24, I think. 23-24, isn't he? He's still got a chance to go... I'm not saying lead Comtree away but he's got a chance to be even a better player and take country even further forward and then see what happens from that because the like you lose Hamer who was a wonderful player for you but you imagine them them two in the same team playing on a regular basis as well like at yeah. the level o'Hare's uh, 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 at now all of a sudden you've got two wonderful wonderful players so yeah I would say O'Hare would be the one that's uh mm-hmm. I, I think he's he's top top draw
2: if you have just joined us, uh, this is the Sky Blue Fans TV with uh, Gary Thompson as our guest, in conjunction with uh, BC Radio. Um, We've you've picked you pick some uh, groups and songs to play, um, and of course the specials. I got me I got me two tone stuff on here. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you were growing up; you're the perfect age for the two tone explosion, yeah. wasn't you? What were you, What were your memories of that?
3: Well, it's it started. We'd hear we hear scar as kids and we'd hear music as kids, but when it's growing up, no one else really listened to it. Then all of a sudden, I think I was 17, 18, all of a sudden there was the start of the explosion. And I, I'm at Coventry, and the of started where it explodes from. All of a sudden, we're hearing about these bands, we're trying to see these bands. Tom English thought he was Terry when, when he wasn't being Elvis, he thought he was Terry Hall, so like he'd try and model himself on everything Terry did. We just loved the 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 energy of the specials and that we just, and we loved the feel of comedy at that time because bands were coming through, the thing was exploding, like and the music was different class. And all of a sudden all of that England or everybody was listening to that sort of music and we were all at the center of it so like we we loved it. It was brilliant.
4: I'm not man. you what What's
2: You're listening to Gary Thompson on BC Radio.
0: Online, on your smart speaker and around the world. This is BC Radio. Three up front on BC Radio.
2: Well, I think at this point, um, we probably should replay those goals again because I'm going to have to talk to you about that evening in uh, 1981. So, hopefully we'll get the video back up, and we'll see the goals. Devonshire enjoyed that little run until he was felled by two men. Blair, through the middle for Thompson! And Thompson's got one
4: back for Coventry! And he feels a lot better about life now!
2: No time to pass back Gillespie. Hunt, one last desperate fling from Coventry. Touch for Thompson. Yes, he's done it. Well, it's a dream come true for Gary Thompson. Three goals he scored tonight. One for West Ham, two for Coventry. You no, know, Gary, that still gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it, it, it just made me laugh like just looking at it
3: because me actually like the explosion of joy and then all of a sudden I've, I've got my head down and all yeah. the, like, grab me and that it, like it's
2: always but... like excited, excited, excited calm
3: yeah yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I do this every week like I mean it, because the way the game started I mean Les God rest his soul I think um, was it Billy Barnes had a header and he, yeah. Les mm-hmm. tries to catch it and he slips squares under him and he looks round as if again, no, no one's seen that referee's like yeah unlucky, 1-0 so it we're a young side. We have got to the semi final. These are these are an old team as well, experienced team. But we we've got energy, youth about us. We can we got pace, and we, we can all we'll cause them a problem. Anyway, within 10, 15 minutes, they're taking a throw, and like the BBC boys, I do do me stuff with the Villa games and that. Every now and again, they pull the, the the own goal out, so they'll pull it out and go, "What were you doing there? What were you thinking?" And I'm like, I keep trying to tell them, and all they do is to take the mickey in that. But I said, listen, there was a throw in, and I saw Alan Devonshire, who is a wonderful footballer, and he's standing on his own. And I'm thinking, they're going to throw it to Devonshire. So I try and tiptoe around to Devonshire, thinking he's going to open out onto his left foot. I'll nick the ball off Devonshire. And then, like, um, roll it back to the keeper. As it turns out, Devonshire turns. I nick the ball, I pink through him, nick the ball off him. But by now, I'm into the penalty area. So I look up, and our goalkeeper is on his goal line, as you would expect him to be. In them days, you could pass it back to the goalkeeper, not a problem. So I actually do look down, make sure I got the ball out of control, roll it back to the keeper. As I roll it back to the keeper, he's standing next to me. And he goes, as he goes into the net, he goes, keepers. <laughs> 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 on the floor. And Les does what Les does, you like, oh, know, to let the crowd, it's him, he's messed up with that. So I'm sitting on the floor. I'm like, you, t- pardon my language. I said, you-, you try like, I said, well, you said keepers. He said, yeah, I said keepers. I said, yes but you were six inches from me at the time anyway we're 2-0 down and the game is going against us we're going at our time I'm expecting because Ron Wiley was not not shy to give me a run on a regular basis we played Aston Villa once and, uh, at Villa Park it was two days before I broke my leg and uh, I've been caught up for the number 21s and i make the mistake for the goal they have the near post corner flick on goal the ball's played in and I think we're going to win the corner so I'll start moving out as you do ball gets flicked on Alan Evans puts in the net so I go in half-time. No, it was just after half-time. So I turn to the lads, and I'm like, oh, please, sorry about that. Jim Martin and all of them was trying to grab me. Got me, like, physically. And I was saying, no, 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 a minute." <laughs> finish the game, I get the equaliser. Great header, like. Um, and it's in Villa Park as well. So you can imagine, all I thought was my old man and all his mates who, were, they're they were in the Villa at the whole end and that. And he'd have been hearing all the abuse i will be taking. And all of a sudden, my old man will be joining in with him because, obviously, much does he loved me, like, he sort of caught between the two, so I got the goal. Well, happy. Break my leg two days later, like. So, I, I get the the commentary game. We're playing um, West Ham this time, and I'm thinking like, you know, we're going to get butchered for this. And they were brilliant. Gordon, he, he I think I said in the book, he would give the best speech since Monty El Alamein. Surely, at least it was. Look at your teammates and that look at the people you've grown up with. This is the opportunity, you know. This is our chance. We can still grab it. All oh, we need is one goal. We get one goal, and all of a sudden we're in the game. Anyway, we go out there. We're full of... Yeah, let us add them. Go and play the second half. Andy Blair picks the ball up. And Andy's... The ball Andy plays through to me is inch perfect. I've done what you normally do. Go towards the ball, spinning behind the two centre-halves. Ball's played down, down the channel. It's me and Phil Parks is coming out. By the way, Andy... If you watch, Andy passes the ball to me. He's probably still holding that position. Now he's like, ah, what a ball! Yeah. So I'm, I roll, roll to run Pass it past the keeper. I end up with a goal doing the yukini. And so it's what 2-1. Uh, and then... Um, I think it's Danny Thomas picks the ball up, comes inside on his left foot. By the way, as a shot, I think Hugh John says uh, crumbs at the rich man's table. Keeper parries it, Jerry Daly taps it in two, two. dying seconds, and you, you see that the goal, the third goal. Steve Hunt picks the ball up. He must have just got up a keeper. Yeah, he must have ran about seventy yards carrying the ball. I'm the target man. I'm the centre forward. So initially, I'm like Huntie, right to me. I bounce it off me and we play it again. He's just carried on running So I make I made four different angles <laughs> to play the ball into me. And by the time he plays it to me, I'm around the edge of the box. And he thinks I'm going to give him a, a, a one-two there. He's got no chance. Ball got played to me. Added had a turn. To be fair, my first touch, it bobbled up a little bit, but I smashed it in. And then, like you say, there was a moment of bang, the joy. And then the, the elation and just the, every, the... Everything just came to a head. And then within 30 seconds, I was like, concentrate. Go, you know, get back on, on with the game. But then the whistle goes not long after that. And then John Silly, the first one that comes to me, is John Silly, who grabs me and picks me up like... And then the fans... We, that was one of the first times people said players went to the fans and celebrated because the fans helped us through that two 0 down that could have been five. The fans mm-hmm. stayed with us, and that as young kids as well. That that could have been, that was an experience where you learn a lot about yourself in that situation. You learn how you can cope with adversity and you can come back from it. I've got a goalkeeper that threw the first one in and then blamed me for the second one. Although I do I do hold my hands up to some of the blame for that, but uh, I said to Les after what are you doing? So me, we're about. To, uh, now, we are up on um Gary Newborn we are doing the show after interviewing yeah. that I walk in i got this lovely suit on so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, and I'm looking at myself in the monitor thinking god damn you're looking good and then I like, hear yeah, Les talking all this guy. I, I told him keepers I said keepers I don't know what he's thinking <laughs> so even then we walk out I'm like you're going to keep passing the book at the end of the day it's done now isn't it we've we got a chance to go to West Ham and that's one of the biggest disappointments of we went there and there's a book out called is it 29 minutes from Wembley and oh, we yeah. were 29 minutes, we should have got there. I felt that I mean, I think I had a chance. I think Mark had a, cha- Mark had a couple of chances right early on. We get one of them, then that game's done and dusted, but he uh, never got the goal. They ended up going to Wembley. And I watched the game, the Wembley game, and I think all the time, I think that should have been us because it, heart- yeah. it, it was heartbreak, weren't it? When, yeah. when that
1: last minute goal. I yeah, mean, we, we, I was there that night. Yeah, it's
3: hard Yeah, me. I mean, Coventry won the cup a few years later, won the FA Cup, and I remember I just I just joined Villa and we got relegated at that same, same time. Coventry won the cup, so you can oh, imagine. Hey, yeah, I, yeah, I, I took so much abuse. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 Neil Silly rang me and he said, "See, big man, you, you should you should have come, come to Coventry because Coventry tried to get me as well, but they, they couldn't work it out or whatever." But they, these things happen. But I always felt that if we'd have got to Wembley that that year with the squad we had. And maybe I know Jimmy lost a lot of money in America and then players had to go, but that money might have been able to tide us over so we could bring in a bit more experience. Because uh, Dave Sexton came in the next year. He brought in Jerry Francis. Jerry Francis was magnificent for us as a, a coach and a, a player coach who would work with us and develop us and talk to us. And even when I left and went to West Brom, Jerry would ring me or Dave would ring me every weekend. How did the game go? How did you do? Do you get hold of the ball? Do you do this? Do you do that? And it wasn't like I've left Confucius City and that's it, they washed their hands of me. They continued. That's the mark of the men. That was that, the mark of people at Confucius City. They still cared about you, even when you
2: left. That uh, night at West Ham, because my dad used to run the Leamington and Warwick supporters club, so we had a coach from the King's Head in Warwick. Yeah. Like two coaches. The coach in front got bricked. I got thrown <laughs> over a brick wall by some West yeah. Ham fans. It was absolute carnage. Carnage, yeah. absolutely. From, my, from memory, I believe you and Danny had a tough time on the pitch that night. Yeah. Is that right? I I've got, um, after the first leg, um, the press
3: had come to the house, and my girlfriend, Louise, is a white girl, and so they they said, oh, we'll take some pictures of the two of you. And she's a bit shy, but we had some pictures taken, and she's uh, draped across the city and all this. And um, We got, uh, the, the hate mail I got over the next week or so was ridiculous. And I'm one of them. I read it, roll it up, and throw it in the bin. Danny Thomas got it and read it, and Danny took it really personal. And I'm like, don't let Bobby out. I mean, they've wasted, they've spent the time, wasted the time to write me a letter to be vitriolic to me. And they can see that it's made absolutely no effect on my life at all. But that's the way I was brought up. At the end of the day, say what you want, I'm still gonna do what I, I gotta do. So like, it didn't it didn't bother me, it really bothered Danny. And, um, but we went to West Ham and we were warming up before the game. And up till then, the atmosphere was intense and there was hatred coming off the West Ham crowd. And the ball went into the crowd, as it were. This is in the warm-up. So I walked across to, to get the ball. And all I saw was these geezers in donkey jackets, and they're trying to pull me in. And so I went, I'll give that one a miss. And then we get the ball. No, you lot get the ball. And that was the start of it. And I'm looking around, there. and then I hear about the, the, the fans that were coming and the coaches that got bricked and people got attacked after the game and that. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, like, this is football, this is a game. This should never be it I know it's intense and we all want to win, but... They took it to another level that night. I had never known people be as violent and as nasty and as horrible about something like that. And so I begrudged them going to the cup final, and I was, I was, delight- I, I was praying they would get beat in the final because I don't think they deserve to be there. They, we should have been the team that was there. We didn't win, we didn't mm. get there, but they, they couldn't even win gracefully. If you know what I mean? They, just, yeah, yeah. yeah we, got the violence more, match, so. we
2: got some more comments coming in. Ian Small, evening Ian. Is a regular. As I remember, the Coventry Evening Telegraph back page headline: Thompson breaks leg. Felt sick. Not since Roy Barry had you missed a player so much. Glad you recovered. Um, what, what's it like, Gary, when you something like that happens and you are out for quite a while? Because you were out for quite a while, weren't you? it, yeah, it must be months. tough. When you, especially yeah. if the team starts doing well and you have got to try and get yourself back into it.
3: Well, straight. Like? Yeah, first of all, on the Wednesday, like I say, I scored the equaliser. I've been called up for the under-21s. I think I'm 19 years of age, so I'm on top of the world. You know, Everything's happening for me. It's all rolling out beautifully. I have the day off on the Thursday, Friday morning. I'll get, um, I'm in my digs. i mean, my digs lady, Mrs. Dunn, lovely lady. She's decided she's going to cook a fry up. Now, I I have a light breakfast, but I wouldn't eat an awful lot. But I'm like, no, no, because Friday, we was at the FA Cup, so it was going to be a, a, a long session finished by, by some running. So I thought, well, now I'll just give that a miss. Anyway, all I could smell the bacon and eggs and that, and I thought well, I'll have a little nibble, as you do. So I had a little bit of a nibble and all that. We go into training, going to training, and all. Normally there's cones everywhere, and there wasn't. That's strange. So uh, they put on a training session, and um, it was a good session. And Ron, while went, look, at the end of it, what we're going to do? We're going to have a 20 minute uh, all 11 side game, and uh, if we get the quality that we want out of that, off you go and have the weekend off so we're going to really put it in in this game they didn't have enough bodies so they called it. there was a kid who played in reserves a young uh, lad from Liverpool he was a, a left back but he built like a centre half and he's they've ended up playing him at centre half as it were like. so we start the game yeah, he's a trialist so he's, 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 there's no it's not, not a physical game it's not going to be one of them where you need shin pads and that we're just finishing the, the, uh, the training sessions off I'm chasing a ball I do you know centre forward, you get towards the ball spinning behind. I've done the first set centre half, I spun him behind, I'm chasing the ball, he's coming across, and I see him coming, but I'm quicker than him, and I think, well, if I get there, I'll just touch it past him, and as I touch it, I'm cleaning on the uh, the goalkeeper. As he's coming across, I touch the ball. Next thing I'm I'm lying on the floor, I open my eyes, and I can't I can't remember who it was. say like um Gillespie or Paul Dyson, they're all looking at me and they're going, Don't look at your leg. So I look at my leg and pass out again. So when I fairly come to it again, I realize I'm in a bit of trouble. My, my, my leg is killing me. I'm, I'm thinking, oh please, let it be ligaments. You know, because obviously every I've been called up for the under 21s. It's all going well. Please let it be ligaments. The um the groundsman, Joe, you can't, they couldn't get an ambulance down to me. So Joe, who had an estate, they put me in the back of his estate. Now imagine what that was like. He's the groundsman. <laughs> So they put a big, bit of carpet down whatever. So I, Put me on there. And he they he has to drive me. Now, you know what writing's like, because you go down. It's yeah. rocky, ass, isn't it? So we're going up. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Like, we finally get to... Um, i got the
1: problems.
3: Yeah. We get to can't worry, They get me out of there, take me in. Like, George Dalton said that brilliant's looking after me and that. And, like, I'm lying there, but there's so many bodies in there, they can't deal with me at the time. So, like, I've got me she kit on. So people kept coming by, looking and going, it's like Gary Thompson. And then, Kerry, like, would you mind signing? And I like, pardon oh, my language. I, you fuck off? Leave me alone. I oh, was <laughs> In the end, the surgeon, um, they were going to pin my leg together. And they realised that, that that eventually that there was a, one, a young surgeon who kept arguing with them, saying, you cannot do this. He's an athlete. You do that. His career's done and dusted. And uh, in the end, he got his way and they just plastered it. They pushed the thing together. They x-rayed it every couple of months. And like uh he basically saved my career, a guy called Mr. Aldridge. And I went I played I made my first game back against I think it was South, I came on against Liverpool when Paul Dyson scored and we beat them one 0 I come on no, yeah. yeah, he was at that game and uh then the club invited him as a thank you and uh he, he, I owe I owe my career to him because uh if he had my mum came straight my mum and dad came straight to the hospital and uh my mum said first thing she said she'd read that article that broke my leg and Someone had rang her and said, oh, what, what's Gary going to do now? His career looks like it could be over and all that. And as a mom, all you hear is the negatives. So she's hearing that my career's over. And I've got, I, I didn't know what to think because I've, I've never been in that situation. I've had ligaments, I've had little injuries, but nothing like that. And the surgeon's saying, well, you'll be out for, uh, you know, a year. Uh, hopefully we can get your feet, blah, blah, blah. But the, there was no real guidelines on it. There was no idea what was going to happen. But the best thing that could have happened to me, a few weeks later, um, I've been I've been voted Coventry's Player of the Year, Young Player of the Year. So like they play Wolves final game of the season, so they get me down there. So you know, give me a bit of food and all that, and I'm sitting in the dugout as it were next to the manager. That anyway. So the, the game goes, and the young kid plays centre forward that day makes his debut, Mark Aitly, and he is electric. <laughs> so he's, he plays brilliant. Like now, I, I'm not one of them that gets angry or upset or jealous and that because I'm broke my leg, I can't play. So I'm watching the game and Mark's played really well. So I go into the dressing room after and we say, Well done, Mark, blah, blah. And Ron Wiley comes in. He says, Well, he says, What do you think? And I went, Well, yeah, yeah, it was a good game. I think we beat him 3 0. But Mark Mark didn't score, but he played brilliantly well. And he said, Yeah, he said, What do you think of the centre forward? I said, Yeah, yeah, he's done all right. He's done right. I thought he played really well. And Ron went, You know, that's what life does. As one door closes, another one slams right in your face. It's done for you, yeah. And but he knew exactly the, the thing to say to, to push my buttons. So I went out of there and I was thinking I, I can't swear on this show, but I was saying he's like you and I was <laughs> I'm do wrong and and all he'd done when I got myself fit, I realised all he'd done was try and wind me up. Mark played brilliant that day, but I needed to have something to, to battle for to get back to get everyone um was feeling sorry for me. The one thing I didn't need was sympathy, I needed people to get into me and, and make me get angry and be get myself back to playing. And then yeah, luckily it happened Ron takes all the credit for it Ron took all the credit for it shall I say but uh, he knew how to push me buttons to get the right responses from me and that's why he ended up buying me going to West Brom and until he passed that's why I class, Ron Wiley he's one of my best coaches him and Dave Sexton I thought were the best two of the best I'd ever had
2: It's interesting you mentioned Mark there because we went from Ian Wallace and Mick Sirson small and uh, yeah. tall striker, little man yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Alan Green as well with players off the, the striker Donald uh, Murphy. Yeah, and, and then we ended up with two strapping centre-forwards, which is quite mm-hmm. unusual, wasn't it, really? Big
3: John Yeah, Big John Silly said that. So, because everyone played big man, little man. You used to play with the two wingers, usually, or occasionally you'd play with the three, and one midfield player tucked in. But generally, it was, it was the same sort of thing. But no one played with two big ones. Like. But we were both big, we were quick, we were strong, good in the air, but we were both mobile as well. So we could stretch teams as well. And we could... And, Retaining the ball and being a centre forward, so well. we were learning that, but the other we could run, so we could stretch teams the other way. So, S- Silic, who said to me the other day, he said, What you two did was what the, the opposition did not like. They didn't centre, didn't want to turn, they didn't want to be facing their own goal, they didn't want things people smashing into them. I mean, I watched Andy Gray play, this is when he's at Aston Villa, and he is in his pomp. His 18 months was the best centre forward display I'd ever seen, but Andy Gray's only about five foot ten. Now, every time this ball went to the centre-half, Andy Gray came across the centre-half, but he led like that with his elbow, and then he headed the ball. And I'm watching things like that, and, and then and Silly was saying to me, you two are physical without being dirty. You'd be really physical. The center half don't want that. you cause causing problems, you run in front, you win tackles and that. And he said, so, it made sense to play the two of you, and you were both getting better at retaining the ball, but we had Andy Blair in midfield. We had what I think is one of the best players i ever played with, I played him at three clubs, Stevie Hunt, and mm-hmm. Stevie Hunt could dictate a game as well. Good player. When we was a football side and you had two battering rams mm-hmm. at, the t- at the top end of the pitch but we could score goals and we weren't just like look, uh, big men just lumped it up to them. We had a little bit of this. I mean, Mark, for me, had more than himself because he was very quick and down his left side he was rapid and he had a hammer of a shot as well. So, like, we had a little bit of something that mixed it up and that's why Tom English in the end couldn't get in the team although I felt Tom should have always been in and around
2: the team because Tom could always score that goal. You need a goal. Tom would be the one to produce it for you. It's interesting because of the two of you, Mark Aitley and yourself, I always felt at the time with fans, it was you're either a Gary fan or yeah. a Mark fan. I was very much not because you're on a Gary fan. What about you, uh, Ken? Yeah, I
1: agree. I agree. Very, very similar sort of players, aren't they? And mm. I, I, I was, I'm not because you're here. I was more of a Gary fan. I think.
2: Because well, I, think, I think Mark was a bit divisive, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, a, he was. Yeah. Well,
1: Mark was a really very, strange
3: very character. Yeah, he was very erratic in his finishing as well. And he could hit the goal from 30 yards or he could kill someone in the crowd, like, as it were. You never knew. There was no um, <laughs> not quality, no direction in what he was trying to do. I went to, when I broke my leg, I was in hospital. And I'm lying in the hospital. There's, there's four bed, beds like me lying there. And there's one guy who's got, um, been in a motorcycle crash and he's got a thing over his leg. And we're chatting away and that. And you say that at the football... And he said, like, well, he says, I've seen you play and I've seen the team play. He says, my favourite is Mark Haley. I think he's a really good footballer. <laughs> I really like him. And I say, I'm, I'm sitting there with a broken leg, like... But people, as you say, people either like Mark or like myself, but together, well, as a pair, we, we, there was no um, animosity between the two of us. We both wanted to get on and we both would work hard for each other. We both try and help each other because I think we both realised that there was a space for both of us in the team. But when he was coming through, I think he felt he would take my place or you know, I'd keep him out of the team. Eventually, once we started playing together, we didn't feel it would work, but we made it work. And then I had the same thing I went with Cyril Regis. I met with Cyril and I'm thinking, well, this can't work. But then I played with Cyril and he Cyril wasn't a an, an natural center forward. He was more like an inside forward. Yeah. And he had a great touch, but he could run down the side, but he was powerful and strong, but he was built like a center forward. But then when I played with Cyril, I loved it. And, and even though like, he's the most laid back man in the world, he's Cambridge Rabbit, and he? he's like, easy, my man, just relax. Cyril was brilliant. <laughs> For me, he was so like aggressive and running around and all that. And so uh, that worked as well. And so I ended up playing with Lee Chapman as well, Sheffield Wednesday. And each time I went, this can never work And that. Whose idea is this? And each time it kind of worked at that. So maybe they know more than we do. Yeah.
2: Well, we're listening to, uh, well, spending an evening with uh, Gary Thompson on Blue uh, Fans TV with BC Radio. Um, we're going to play some music next.
0: Three up front on BC Radio.
2: Well, Gary, that was uh, "Suspicious Minds" by Elvis, of course. Yep. Now I looked in your book and uh, I saw that it was a firm favourite of the uh, people you were really close to. Um, isn't it a bit strange to have uh, somebody from uh, uh, from a West Indian background, like in Elvis.
3: It, I mean, it would it would be strange, but if you met me old man, then you, you you'd see that because I loved, Not he didn't dress like Elvis. My, my old man was one of the smartest <laughs> men you ever met. Always had the hat on. He had the his hair was always slicked back. He always had. A, he, he looked a proper don as a black guy. But then I'm, I'm looking at my dad. He's my hero. Like I'm looking at the old man, and I'd sit there sometimes, and he'd listen to music, and he sometimes he started off with Jim Reeves or something like that which is obviously strange choice for a black man, but he used to listen to all kinds of music. But when Elvis came on, or Frankie Sinatra, he loved all that, but Elvis was the one, he loved Elvis. And he to said to me, see that guy? He sings like a black man. And then you hear Elvis sing, and like he's got that soul in his voice. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I have that. And initially I was into Elvis a bit because of the old man, but like Suspicious Minds, the old man loved that song. But uh, in the ghetto, which is when I had to do me, um, me initiation at uh, Aston Villa, uh, that's what I sung in the ghetto like. And obviously they were they staring jumping up in the aisles because I, I rocked the place. Oh, that's what I'm telling Because 'Cause they were waiting like to pepper me, weren't they? But I didn't get peppered, so I think it went okay. So most Elvis songs I I have really got to think for Elvis. I love I love them the tune, I love the melodies about it. And um yeah, it was just part of me growing up. In little periods, you'd be same through my career, like there's a career of the specials, or there's a spell, It's a specials, and selector. Earlier on, it's like um, Sound of Philadelphia, It's Thin Lizzy. It's always in little, little blocks, there's periods where I, and I, that music I would love, and I'd play to death and all that. But uh, yeah, Elvis has always got a special place, and even now, you get an Elvis tune coming, like, there's all this, we're all tapping away, we're like, yeah, we have some of that. He was the king.
0: on BC Radio.
2: Ken, I believe you've got a question you wanted to ask about Gordon Milne.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask,
1: like obviously the managers you played with at Coventry, yeah. Gordon Milne and Dave Sexton. What was Gordon Milne like as a chap? You did uh, say he's quite, quite a laid-back guy earlier, um, compared with like Dave Sexton.
3: Well, Gordon was, um, to Ron, Ron and Gordon were good cop, bad cop. And generally, Gordon was the one you didn't want to upset because he was always so nice to you. And he would point yeah. out things. And for us, Gordon played for England. He was in a World Cup squad and all that. So Gordon Mill knew his stuff. Ron Wiley was, uh, uh, my opinion at the time, used to be he'd bully you to get what he wanted and He was always yeah. picking on people and that. But Ron was doing it because he knew the way to get to get to the what he wanted. Gordon yeah. was a manager so he didn't have to get involved too many times but tactically, very very spot on when he, when he was talking when he used to call you to the office you'd dread getting the curly finger you get the, the call to the office and he'd sit there and he'd, you know wouldn't you like a cup of tea and he'd just go through the game he'd go through the bits you've done wrong and the things yeah. you've done but it was, it was always done in a measure calculated but in a nice way Ron would just bully you and just say oh, obviously she was and all that but Gordon was brilliant in the way he dealt with you Dave Sexton exactly the same Dave Sexton was possibly one of the best coaches at the time he was ahead of his time Dave would be one of them it's in uh, in the morning you'd walk in you'd see, the, see him you'd say hello gaffer and he, sometimes he'd be smoking a cigar and he'd just walk straight past you and just blank you because he's got he's locked in his own mind and other times you would walk past him he'd go time, come with me and he'd take me and he'd say little clips, and it'd be a Franz Beckenbauer picking the ball up and breaking the lines in midfield and going forward to have a right. strike at all. And Beckenbauer I, I saw so many videos of him or Gerd Muller turning in a box and that. And he what he'd do, he'd sit alone and he'd work out like little two-minute clips. Have a look at that. Take that, have a look at that. This is like 20-30 years before they're all doing it. We used watching videos. we we play on the Saturday, we'd watch a video of the game on the Monday, and they'd stop it every minute when you made this mistake, and we'd go over that, we'd go over that, mm-hmm. and it was it was terrible. But it taught you an awful lot, and as managers, they they taught taught us an awful lot. Dave Sexton for me was a brilliant coach. Ron Wiley was a brilliant coach in another way because he knew how to push your buttons. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Milne was one of the best managers because he knew how to handle you in all situations. He knew. He, I, I suppose there's nothing he hadn't dealt with in his time as a player and then a manager. So every eventuality, he knew the reason. He knew he could deal with. Plus, he was at a club where. We knew that if you got to Coventry and you're and you, were, and you were the first team and you get to £400 a week, you're at the door. So I get to £400 a week. I signed a three-year contract, £400 a week. And uh, suddenly they decide that, um, Jimmy, L, we're not selling our best players. Like Leeds and Arsenal came in for me and he just said, no, that's not happening. And to be fair, at the time I wasn't that bothered because they, I just signed a new three-year contract and like um, I thought, well, I'm quite happy to stay because if we add to what we've got, this can be even better. Dave yeah. Sexton broke my game down. So this was my last sort of 18 months of co- well, a year at Coventry, as it were, was a bit indifferent to start with. And it was only towards the end of that t- I got back to being even better than I had been before. And that was Dave, because he broke my game down. He took me and said, no, you want to do this, do this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I became an even better player. So by the time I got to the Albion, and I'm under the guidance of Cyril Regis, all of a sudden, I'm a more complete player. But I'm, Dave used to still speak to me and call me, and I'd bump into my games. Always chat to me about aspects of the game that I can improve on and all that. Mm. Technically, so, so brilliant. So on top of his game and so ahead of his time. And he had a
1: fantastic team, didn't he? A young team there, Dave Sexton.
3: Yeah, yeah. It sort of broke up. Uh, Danny Thomas and yeah, all the youngsters there. For well, Dave, Dave leaves. The Dave joins Comshire, as it were, like, and because uh, Gordon goes upstairs to be general manager, and Dave yeah. takes us. And I think the first game we play Man United, and um, David just him sacked for Man United, and we tore him apart that day. I mean, Ray Wilkins was shouting at us like, "What's going on? What's going on?" We played ever so well that day, and from there we like because I was with Dave under twenty ones, so I know how good he is but bit by bit he's, he's working with the players he's doing different things some of his training sessions were, were different and there was one that I always remember like because remember the training ground you sort of here but just on the corner up the hill is Massey Ferguson yeah so one yeah. afternoon Dave says to us uh, right then Hately, Thompson say Tom English Danny Thomas you're out this afternoon two, two o'clock so we go out at two o'clock we have a jog round do some finishing and all that and then he puts four balls out and he says right then do a trick but don't touch the ball. So we are. We do it. Do a trick. Step over. Do a step over. Drag back. You know. Put your foot over the, over the ball, but don't move the ball. So you got about twenty seconds in your locker and that. And then they, you know, I'm like, what you doing? keep doing it, keep going. And after a bit, the lads from Massey Ferguson, they're on their lunch break. They look over, and they can see these four players dancing around over a ball, but not touching the ball. <laughs> Is that what you do every week? No wonder you're all crap and that. We got butchered, and we get saying, "Gaffer, you <laughs> know." And he said, no, no, keep going. Show me something different. Show me something different. And that was him. He was always coming up with different ideas. Laurie Cunningham was taking corners with the outside of his boot. And uh, I think he went to Real Madrid and was doing that. And then he had us doing it. He'd, he'd see things and say, right, I'll have that. And I'm like, I'm the one in the box. I'm going to be heading it in or smashing it in. Like, what? Well, I'm not taking corners and that. And he said, no, no, that will teach you how to kick the ball properly. So when it does come to you in the box, you can actually get a good connection on the ball. And all a lot of his things he did actually made sense in the end. He Jerry Francis take me out of an afternoon and in the D, in the penalty area, Jerry would have 10 balls. He'd smash them at me. So I have to control it and have the shot before it went out of the D. He couldn't go out of the D. And the D's a tight areas work working. Mm. And little things like that. And the first couple of times, the ball's go all over the place and all that. And Jerry's going, I think we've taken a mickey. Like, he's supposed to be a professional footballer. But bit by bit, you get better and better. They teach you how to do different things. And it was all a learning process with Dave and them, all that. Them. Now, I got to the point where they broke my game down but all of a sudden I'm getting back to what I was we play uh, there's a lot of stories I'm going to be leaving and I knew that there was Jimmy Allo problems in in America and then um, we played Norwich on a Tuesday I got sent off Olga Ryder smacked Mark Aitley and I said to the referee you're going to do something about that and he just went get on with the game so being the kind of person I am I smacked Olga <laughs> <Harada. laughs> referees come over and he's warned me and all that next thing, I'm chasing the ball, and Greg Downs, commentary favourite, Greg Downs, ball's been thrown out to Greg Downs, I'm chasing Greg Downs down, Greg knows I'm coming, and as, the, as, as if I'm coming, Greg plays the ball up to the, the centre forward, like, he just boots it out of the way, and jumps out of the way, I come sliding, and jumps out of the way, referee's over, get off, and I look at Downs, and I like, I've never touched you, and he said, referee didn't touch me, there was intent in what he was trying to do, get off, and that was my last game with commentary, FA, FA Cup game, we're out, on the, 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 the Wednesday I'm out with the wife, we're looking for baby stuff and that. And I get in the house, and Hill rings the house and basically says, you're going off to West Brom. And uh-huh. I'm like, no. And he said, no. yeah, 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 he said, yeah. go, and look after you, blah, blah, blah. And it was a long conversation. And I'm like, no, I ain't going. And in the end, the wife, because he said they were six weeks from going bankrupt. And that was the reason mm-hmm. why I ended up leave, not leaving, but I ended up having a conversation with West Brom, and I ended up getting bullied sign signing. And that summer, I left in the March, that Summer, Haitley's whose contract was up, Danny Thomas's contract was up, all of them, and that mm. was that was class of the Exodus. But Bobby Gore came in, yeah, Bobby Gould brought in uh loads of play Terry Gibson and all of them,
1: yeah, yeah,
3: sure it and all of a sudden, yeah. I mean, I think was it who do you was it Liverpool you beat? You beat someone. Yeah. Right? Paul Oh, and yeah. everyone was like, oh my word, all them lot that were there before, what a waste of time. This is the future. Because <laughs> we sat there and thought, I've got to it. But they just, they got, not got rid of players, but they had to let a lot of us go. But a lot yeah. of players, sort weren't going to sign anyway because they weren't happy. Danny Thomas went on the radio once and he said, well, Tomo left and we decided we all had to go because, and I, I remember bumping at Danny what are do you doing? Because for years people used to say to me, "You traitor, you broke that team up," and I'm like, "Listen, there's a lot. It's a long story, but I'd never yeah. really to say in it." And then when I wrote the book, a couple of people—I mean, who's the guy who used to do the, the TV with Andy Gray? Massive Coventry fan.
1: Oh, we went out to Dubai. Didn't Richard
3: Keyes yes, Richard Keys. Keys. I do a, a podcasting with Richard Keys. He's he's in Dubai and it's he's been beamed in, and he's that they're, they're talking back and forth. And he says, Yeah, the young Thompson, blah 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 like you know, on the team we'd have had a country if he hadn't gone like as if I <laughs> said well, that's it, I'm up I'm up, I'm up six I'm leaving that. But it was never never like that. And at that time, we never had any power. If this was done now with the agents and all that, there's no way it would have happened that way. But these things happen. And it, in the end, I look at my career, I I read my career, should have been a lot better, but I had a good career, I had a great time, made some great friends. And uh, I think I've just had a fantastic time. Bearing in mind, my options, <laughs> eight, nine, ten, eleven years of age were quite limited. So actually to play football, see after the world, nick the odd girl, and uh, just basically enjoy myself. No, I can't complain.
1: Well, they say things happen for a reason, don't they? And uh, exactly. it was a completely new squad for us then, and I was good at it at the time. But and then obviously Bobby Gould coming in, it was a completely different ball game then. And yeah, yeah, So uh,
2: yeah, great. Numbers. You, uh, so out of the two, though, out of Gordon and Dave Sexton, who would you want as a manager? Would, which one do you think would pick the team that would, would have suited you?
3: Uh, I would probably say Dave Sexton because uh, Gordon was brilliant and uh, he knew what how to get the best, but Gordon re- needed Ron. They were a double act. They worked really well. And um, the technical Gordon was very good on the technical side, but he let Ron... Obviously, direct the sessions and direct all that right. stuff. Dave Sexton controlled every aspect of it, and Dave Sexton would stop and he'd look at Les and he'd write, I can work out something, a little session for him, or i will work out something for Tomo or Danny Tom. Danny Thomas came to Coventry as a as a, a midfield player. Mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. if he'd be a scoreboard. They ended up turning Danny Thomas into a right back, and he was an England class right back yeah. until he had that terrible injury. He injury yeah. Man. Yeah, Dave Sexton was responsible for a lot of that. I mean, Danny, obviously, under Gordon Mill, played full-back and was very good. Danny Thomas went on another level. Dave, as a coach, was as good as I've... I mean, I've worked with Howard Wilkinson and Stevie Coppola. I've worked with some great coaches over the years and that. But them two would be in the conversation. And definitely, I would have to say, Dave would probably shade it. He'd probably be the best one.
2: My dad used to always shout abuse at Gordon Mill. And he always <laughs> used to say he couldn't, he couldn't motivate his misses. Now, when I was eleven, I didn't know what he meant by that. We were, in the Westgate, we we're in the Westgate Arms Hotel in Warwick, which is a isn't there anymore. And mm. Gordon Milne's there with his wife, yeah. And me as an eleven-year-old, my dad's always Gordon Milne there, so I trot off to the table and I just sit there. And all innocence. I says, "My dad thinks you can't motivate your missus." <laughs> <laughs> that went down really well, like yeah. That's probably why I got that letter of rejection from Bert Edwards. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, because like I say, Gordon, when he first came in, because um, Joe Mercer was the manager, and Gordon yeah. came in as the assistant, as it were. Joe went upstairs, right. Gordon took the team. But Gordon had an aging team. Gordon has then changed the team where you've ended up getting your Tommy issues. Because like, when I first went to Coventry, my first six weeks, I remember going into the canteen, and like, apart from obvious things me, like your pants getting pulled down in front of the, the dinner lady and all that, the one thing that I remember looking at was there was a guy there called John Craven who scared me to death. He looked like the most aggressive, physical, horrible man ever. Chris Catelyn was there for a few weeks as well. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Chris Catelyn, he's not shy to let people know what, what's what. And so like, it was just a, a dressing room full of characters and Gordon had to deal with that. Imagine Gordon was only a few years older than them and he had to deal with them and he had to bring some, get some uh, bring in and all that and change that. Then he got the team with the likes of Hutch, Jimmy Holton and all them, and Mickey Coop, Barry Powell and all that. And then changed that team again for the likes of Gillespie, Andy Blair, myself, Steve and all that. So he overseen three, well, not generations, but three, three different classes of
2: player and still kept commentary in, in what he's now called the Premier League. It's, that's well, a fantastic well, job. And what's interesting is when you think about 1980, 81, we had a team where nine players, I think, were under 21 or 21 yeah. and under. If we had a team like that now in the Championship, the fans would be absolutely well they wouldn't be happy about it would they no. they'd be thinking we're never going to survive in the championship yeah. you guys were making a fist of it in the top league That's right. at a time when a, you as a forward would get battered the wingers would get kicked all over the place I mean yeah. some of these lads would have a field day now under the new rules and the oh, laws yeah. and that. Yeah. But, but there's no that. there's no real physical contact anymore not too much no. anyway and like
3: Back in them days, it was GBH. I mean, I can't remember one of one of the lads saying one day, "Get your retaliation in early." And I was like, uh. and all of a sudden, you realise why because they centre arms and people were going to smash you. And give them half a chance. They, if the chance to play football was on, they'd play football. But if there was a chance to lay into you, and leave one on you, they'd do that as well. If she's as you say, you just saw myself and Luxa Hakeley and people limping about like a good and light, like, but uh, the Lucks of bodak who never really got involved in a tackle in his life, <laughs> he still could still dance and move about like.
2: I think we've got some more comments coming in, I think. Ooh. What's that? Too? I know what it is. It's, it's Stephen McGovern's asking, what do you think of Mark Robbins um, as, as a manager? A
3: manager. I, I have to say, I think he's been one of the best things to happen to Comfrey City for a long, long time. His first period there, I thought he did well. Obviously, he's done well because he's, he's gone off to another club didn't work out for him, came back to Coventry. And I remember hearing a podcast with him the other day, and uh, I think it was a Monday nightclub or something. And he was Yeah, saying, on
1: Radio 5 Live, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and
3: it was really good. And he came on and he just said, basically when he first came in um, back to Coventry, the first thing you had to do was get the connection between the fans and the players again, because we'd lost all of that. And the moment you lose that connection, you got a problem. There was always different problems with the hedge funds and this and that going on all the time. And I didn't know half of it. And I, when I go to commentary, I'd hear a bit different stories and all that like. But the bottom line was the team would, weren't playing particularly well, or they'd have little spells, but it was never consistent. And there seemed to be problems up, up above as well. So like, it, it, was, a, it was a mess. And Mark Roberts come coming again and just listening to him talk that day on the Monday nightclub and he had to, the things he had to deal with and like all the time he's just tunnel vision, right I can keep going we'll deal with that one deal with that problem deal with that problem but he's still got to get a team to win games he's still got to get uh, keep players there who you could actually sell or whatever any player of any value there's a chance he'd be stolen from you. Yeah? and he's got to bring all that together turn it into a team that can win games and he's over the years he's done it. I think he's done an absolutely fantastic job I mean like, I listened to him talk and I was I didn't realise how bad it was I mean, i will go to the every now and again and, like, sometimes the atmosphere was a little bit iffy, but uh, it was because the fans were hurt because what, what had been happening. They've seen their team being taken away from them. There's no, um, there's no connection with the players, as it were. People were coming and going. It was the transient club. Players came in for a couple of years, left uh, a couple of years later, nicked a few quid, whatever. The whole thing just seemed to be a, a mess. And now he's he's all going in the right direction. Should have been in the Premier League last year. I'm watching the playoff um, final and, and I'm thinking, well, to be fair... First half, you could have been three down. Mm. Second half, all of a sudden, like, I'm looking at that game. That game completely changes. And like until when Hamer gets injured, yeah. then it changes yeah. on that. And I'm thinking, like, but for that, you end up being in the Premier League. And it's a whole new ball game, again, financially-wise. Everyone's raving about Luton. But looking at Comfrey, starting side to play Luton that day, would you, do you think commentary would have struggled? If they'd have kept hold of Goy Krizna, would they have struggled to be in the Premier League? I think they'd have been OK. I so, think in answer to your question, which is probably a long-winded way of answering it, like I think he's done an absolutely magnificent job so far.
2: Well, you're listening to Gary Thompson on Sky Blue Fans TV with BC Radio.
0: Three up front on BC Radio.
2: We've got some more. Uh, coming in. David Granigan, some fantastic goals, but just reminds you how bad the pitches were back then. Oh yeah. Ours wasn't yeah. as bad as some others, though. No,
3: City's pitch was always, the grounds were at Compte City and the training grounds were different class. and like uh, you look at some of the pitches, you look at Derby County, which was always the, the utopia. If you could play on Derby County's pitch, which was just a piece of crap they can play, they play it, yeah. but generally they were but I, I mean we had um, Villa were playing a couple of years ago I think it was Gillingham in the cup and like uh, a couple of players were Oh, the, 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 pitch, the, the bounce of the ball ain't right because it's just a normal pitch they have it or everything in the Premier League and lower down is is, is nice now but back in the day you'd go to some places you'd be like oh my word we go to Wickham the pitch would be lovely you go to the places and it was like a, a field and after a playing field, half the time, like oh, there'd be like you'd always see bits where the uh, penalty areas would be just mud, and the centre spot would be mud, and the other centre spot would be mud, and then down the flanks, it'd all be nice and green because no one ever ran down there. And that's mm-hmm. how pitches were. Pitches were a disgrace at the time, but it was a chance to play football, and we we didn't go out and go oh, pitches not too much now. But nowadays, the players will probably look at it and say oh, we can't play on that. We, we got a <laughs> chance to play football, and we we're delighted to do
2: it. You mentioned Steve Hunt earlier. Yeah. And uh, I saw his debut away at Derby, as you mentioned, the baseball ground. That was and, a seven. Uh, no, that we beat them uh 2 0 at Derby, right? And and uh, we played in our chocolate kit, it's the first time yes. the fans ever saw it. Yeah, so did the players at the time have a preview of the uh, the chocolate kit, or did they just unravel it? Because it. It?
3: Jimmy was a uh, Jimmy was a, a genius in a lot of ways and he had so many good ideas and the idea was with the tea and just I think there was one time we weren't allowed to on match of the day or whatever because of the yeah. the, the, the numbers and it was, it was advertising but Jimmy had, had an idea that, I think was a sky blue kit there was a red one there was a yellow there was a chocolate brown and uh, we had no idea about the chocolate brown turn, I think we played Leicester one night and uh, me and Danny Thomas walked into the dressing rooms and like we wouldn't see the kit before us, but we we're right from home, so it could be anything. And they were all laid out chocolate brown So we've got to Dave Sexton, that's his gaffer. I'm going out in that. I can't be going out in that. And Dave couldn't understand why. He was like, What's the You had a chance to play football. You're me number nine, you're gonna play. I mean, Gaffer, look at it. Well, I can't be going out in a night game. I can't be going out, here. I'm gonna get butchered. <laughs> and he could not actually realise what I was talking about and in the end it's like Dave's just get on with it so we, we get up really we go out and when you warm up and I never used to warm up too much but when you warm up you'd have your tracksuit top on so it, you know it be disguised and whatever by the time I took the top off like all the, everything was really quiet and then, oh I can see some teeth oh I can see some we got absolutely butchered and then, like I'd say, you see, you see what you're bringing, but they just couldn't see it. All you could see game of football, making <laughs> runs, and all that. Like, but you didn't never saw the the chocolate brown thing. And I, I'm tr- I was trying to explain to him years later, and he never still didn't really get it. It's well, it's worth a grand if you got one. Oh, so, okay. I've heard it's um, yeah. I mean, they they collectors items now, them yeah, kits. Yeah. But so we were still nice. allowed to have kits. But with Jimmy Herbert, for the rest of his soul, he would have um, the three or four different kits and that. And he would keep all of them. And at the end of the season, you say, "Oh, can I have a, ki- uh, a top for such and such an championship?" Oh no, we can't do that, son. We're not allowed to do that. But word is, they used to get they used to get sold and all that like. But we never ever got hold of anything. Oh. Oh, yeah. so got a
2: question from Ralph Wiggins. I really believe if we hadn't sold Gary, we would have won the first division title. Because <laughs> when we sold him, eight players asked for transfers. Um, the thing is, it was a running down of contracts, wasn't it? It weren't the yeah. for. Then trans- they all contracts ended. In contract those days,
3: end. yeah. Their contracts are ending, and like Cometry have been trying to negotiate with them since the October. Now I had a brand new contract anyway, so like they weren't negotiating with me. But Danny Thomas, Haitley, Steve Jacobs, a load of them they were negotiating with, then obviously it, it came to a head. But you're looking at a team that was a very, very good young side that's developing as well. And anyone, I say with a brain, would look and think, hang on, if we can add a bit more experience to that, then that will coach you look at the Chelsea side now they've got a load of good young players they've only got Thiago Silva who is like as old as me so they need a bit more experience just to help these kids through their bad spells and that we would if we had that as well we had a couple of in a couple of positions a couple of players just to help us along a younger Mickey Koo for example or someone like that then that team I believe and no one can convince me otherwise that team would have gone from strength to strength whether we won the first division of the title I do not know but I think we'd have had a good fist of it
2: yeah. So we've got some more comments. We have a few more comments. We've got one more question and then we'll have to call it a night because we're uh, running well over time. <laughs> but, uh, I'll have to some... come back. It's <laughs>
1: fascinating. Know. fascinating.
2: Uh, Craig well, Robinson, what does it feel like to score a goal in front of a large home crowd for the club you're playing for? What emotions go through your head? It's it's hard to describe. It's like an explosion.
3: It's like it, all the emotions, all the hard work, everything just comes in, encapsulating in that one moment. You see the ball going in it and you can always you watch a lot of strikers now they hit the ball and they want to see the ball go in the net so they lift their head so the ball goes over the bar if you keep your head down and see the ball your eyes will always catch the ball going in the net you'll always catch the crowd going like that as well the keeper despairing trying to this is how I see it in the head anyway so that you always see that moment like, and so it, it's hard to describe but it's a moment of sheer joy it's it's a beautiful beautiful moment that's why I can't have this VAR thing because I, I saw the Everton goal yesterday it's in, a vital moment in the game Branthwaite scores the goal just heads it in from three or four yards like one of his first goals for the club he's made up he celebrates that's the weight and he's waiting and waiting and finally they say he can it's like a fun sponge you take all the joy out of it the scoring of a goal for that moment that joy you can't you can't describe it. it's better than sex I suppose it turns to sex with but it's absolutely magnificent so like, I would say it's one of the best feelings ever and if it's your home crowd as well but the wayside as well when you when everyone's booing you or hammering you, and you can score and stick one on them as well, that's, that's a lovely moment as well. But scoring in front of your home crowd at the, the end as well, where the main, the main fans are, as it were, is a beautiful, beautiful feeling.
2: So I have a few more comments. Paul Hughes, I was at the 1 1 Villa game. It was a great goal.
3: And I've got to totally agree with you, Paul. I just think it was a magnificent goal. And uh, <laughs> I think it broke me a couple of days later. But that <laughs> did keep me warm for a couple of nights anyway.
2: Nino of Cov. Hey, Gary T. How are you, mate? Um, I was a kid went to your door in Potter's Green to ask yeah. your autograph. Thanks for being a sound guy. Um, yeah, I mean... Was it in Diana Drive you lived at? Just trying yes. to recall. Yeah, Diana Drive, yeah, number seven, I think it
3: was, like. But, uh, yeah, me, um, my girlfriend at the time decided we, we would have a house, and so we decided to get this house from there. Got the house and my house was... Tom English was always in my house and Danny Thomas and Mark Aitley and people like that all the time. And, and my wife, I mean, she came to my wife after, she's like, we didn't move in with these. Why are they here all the time? <laughs> so they was always there. Or people would turn up at two in the morning. and then Because it was my house, like, but I bought the house. And then my girlfriend moved in. But after a bit, she's like, people are turning up at two in the morning. Because I was one of the few players people have the house. But yeah, people would be knocking on the door all the time. Kids would be knocking on them. Do you want to come back and play football? And sometimes we go out and play, but Tom was always there, like and uh, yeah. It, I mean, the way I was always told, I like bet Edward said, the day they don't want your autograph is the day you start worrying, son. And so, like, yeah, if anyone asked me autograph for five minutes, it's five minutes at a time It's not a problem. And that's uh, fair. I, I loved it.
2: It's uh, Saranji's student, my dad's favourite all-time cough player, and he's been watching since
3: 1972. That's that's very nice. I mean, when when I when I played. And uh, when I saw the likes so of Tom Hutchinson, who I still think is one of the greatest players Comrie ever had, Stevie Hunts, who I played with at three clubs, and I think he's an unbelievable footballer, Andy Blair, despite the stick I give him, he was a wonderful footballer. Ian Wallace scored goals for fun in the short space of time at Comrie was magnificent. Bobby McDonald, who came from Comrie, mm. came to Aston Villa to must cultured left back. I think Comrie had seen for a long, long time different class. Mickey Coop fantastic player so anybody that put me in that conversation I, mean, I spoke to Brian King the other day and Kingy was saying it back to me like uh, what an idiot I was as a kid like and he said we had to straighten you out a little bit but I said thanks to you, the likes of you Kingy the way you straightened me out that I actually got myself a career so to be classed by commentary fans as one of their favourites made up with that I mean you look at a kid who came from and just wanted to play football if people think I was good or bad it's, it's, it's brilliant I mean I've got to say I'm like, made up with that thank you very much
0: three up front on bc radio
6: yeah, you're listening to Three Up Front tonight on this Wednesday night. I'm Miles Cadden. You've just been listening to the uh, Gary Thompson, who used to play for Coventry, but not early Coventry, but Aston Villa as well, and West Bromwich Albion. And I hope you all enjoyed that little interview there by Claudio and Ken Stewart. Uh, absolute pleasure having uh, Gary on. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, we will be having another Three Up Front over the next few weeks, uh, we do have another guest coming on, a former player, uh, and he will be having a little chat with us. We can't give too much away at the moment, but uh, there will be another player having an interview with us all, and you will enjoy it, and definitely will enjoy it. And we're going to have some tracks. He's picking his tracks as we speak, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy his music as well. Now we've got Die Die coming up very shortly. Die with a Y. She will be up very shortly, but I'm going to play. Gary Thompson's favourite song and it is In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley
7: As the snow flies On a cold and grey Chicago morning A poor little baby child Is born in the ghetto And his mama cries 'Cause if there's one thing that she don't need is another hungry mouth to feed in the, ghetto. in the ghetto. People, don't you understand? A child needs a helping hand. He'll grow to be an angry young man someday. Take a look at you and me. Are we too blind to see? Do we simply turn our heads and look the other way? Well the world turns And a hungry little boy with a runny nose plays in the street as the cold wind blows in the ghetto in the and his hunger burns The crowd gathers round an angry young man face down in the street with a gun in his hand in the the ghetto. And as her young man dies
5: in the ghetto,
7: on a cold and gray Chicago morning another little baby child is born in the ghetto. And his mama cry.
6: Yeah, a massive thank you to Gary Thompson, who has Kindly gave us the interview for, your sh- for our show tonight, so I hope you all enjoyed yourselves listening to his stories there. As I say, this is BC Radio. You've been listening to three up front tonight, and uh, we have got Die with a Y coming up next. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Don't forget, we'll be back soon, and uh, take care, everyone. Here comes Die with a Y.